Fika with Annika. The word fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at three in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace fika. I'd like to introduce my first guest, Tim Lauritsen. Tim is a longtime resident of the Anza Valley and hails from a family of 1950s homesteaders. He is known for growing native plants and trees, building in a sustainable style, his volunteer work within the community, and his artistic talents. He also has hiked probably more trails than most. Welcome, Tim Lauritsen. My uh, adventure from Meeks Bay in Tahoe to Yosemite in Tuolumne Meadows. It took three weeks, 21 days. Where we, meaning a friend named Ken from Truckee and I, and a friend of his who disappeared the second day, um, left Meeks Bay, southern Tahoe, and headed south. Um, we left one day a week, only three days for the adventure, to lay rest in camp. And on the second day, we had to spend our extra day for the second week looking for our lost friend, who had forgotten where we were to meet, thought we had left him behind, and he kept hiking south and got ahead of us when we went and looked back. So we went the wrong direction looking for him, simply because he forgot. A basic rule, you have a destination in your mind and you reach that. And if you don't, you stop. You don't turn around. You make camp. That way then your other parties come looking and they know where you are. But what he did was, he went ahead and assumed we were behind him. So it worked out much better for the two of us because our food caches at the end of the first and second week were only adequate for two of us. In fact, we did run out of food on the last two days of our adventure, five of the days of which is in the northern regions of Tuolumne Meadows. So, <clears throat> The second and eighth day of our adventure, Ken from Truckee had a fishing pole and he found a big wide area for a river crossing that was blocked by a giant tree log that was a natural bridge for us. But before we left camp, as he started fishing I wandered about and noticed fresh bear tracks and noticed that he was likely grabbing the bear's dinner and that we had spooked the bear away from his meal. Now keep in mind once a bear 
gets your meal, he considers it his and you will never get it back. Now over the years, in Boy Scouts in the 60s, we were already learning how to throw a counterweight rope over a tree so that you would use your bag that housed your sleeping bag and you'd put your food in there and then pull it up and counterweight it with rock. But bears learned how to send their cubs up and to lower the food bag or to pull it up and drop it. Then came the poles, the flag poles that you raised your food to. And the bears learned to wait until you came to lower your food and then they'd chase you away from your food bag. And, and then you'd still be out of your food. So then in the 70s we went into bear housing locked chambers that were mostly culverts with big heavy chain link fences on them where you could go in and put your food at, in, during your sleeping hours in camp and that would lock the bears out. But the same thing happened there. And so then in the 90s came a more stealth approach on how do you store your food from the critters. And in this case on our trip, well this was the 90s, but we used what was called a waterproof double ziplock bag that's clear. And it's pretty heavy duty and you can put your food in there and you ziplock the inner and then you outer seal and then you set it in under the water in the creek and you weigh it down with a rock and no animal can smell it until the water oozel. He's a little bird that walks in these swiftly flowing rivers. He's stout, he's stocky, and he walks on the bottom of these creeks and rivers looking for grubs and insects. He's a niche in that whole evolution. And Tell me again, Tim, what's the name? The, the name of the critter is the water oozel. He's a bird. Oozel. Oozel. <laughs> okay, he's a songbird, and he's adapted to wading and diving and walking against the swift currents. And it's an amazing thing because I thought putting my little tasty morsels in this bag, and here comes this bird walking right by. So you never know. That's part of the adventure. <laughs> two other birds on our trip. Um, one was the blue grouse. We have them. This one species is close to 20 inches, so it's a fairly large wild bird. But its favorite thing is to hide under a bush where it likes to house itself. And I remember coming up and that those birds wouldn't come out of those bushes until you were right about ready to step on them and then they'd come out of there out of there and of course you'd have a heart attack <clears throat> okay but they're a large bird that waddles conspicuously and when it walks it it wobbles and when it talks it ventriloquizes it whirs a sound is the dangest thing you'd ever think to find in the wilderness was this large wild bird, the wild blue goose, even though it's not blue, it's more dark gray. <clears throat> and then there was this dark-eyed gecko. 
Now they, they fly up from central Mexico and spend the summers on the foothills of the Sierras. Um, and keep in mind that Tall Yosemite uh, travels the upper foothills on the west side of the Sierras. It's only part of the Pacific Trail, a uh, Pacific Crest Trail on the first three days on the north and at Tahoe and the last five days into Yosemite is also the Pacific Crest Trail that we were on. But the Tahoe Yosemite is much less known and used and in fact in some places we found uh, avalanches had taken the trails away altogether and without ducks the three stacks of rocks to mark where a trail would be we might not have been able to get through. So there were places where there were no trails. Only a summer visitor and it prefers meadows and the woodlands and uh, this region has dense forests and there was a particularly large juniper tree, rather huge for a juniper, that I noted and then made camp nearby. And right at dusk, this flock of 30 dark-eyed jenkos arrived, and they like to make a lot of noise. They're a brownish body, they have a white tip on their tail, but their tails are mostly black. And uh, they're easily distinguished, but they like to forage and they make a lot of noise when they're in a flock. And these birds arrived into this tree right at dusk near my camp, like that scene in Alfred Hitchcock's at the gas pumps. It was scary. And they made a bunch of noise until right at dark, they all calmed down and slept just like I did. So on south we went, there's one spot where um, we dropped quite a distance in elevation um, where the headwaters of the Tuolumnes, Tuolumnes is up in, 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 in Yosemite, but there's other rivers that come out into California. And so we followed pretty much some of the, the um, trailheads there. I mean, the, the, the source of, of where the waters actually begin to run. And we went to a place called Gabbett Meadows, and it was supposed to be um, a nice sized pond, and it was gone. But the house, the old abandoned cow, cowboy, ranch type summer cabin kind of thing had been torn down because uh, a dam had been built out of sight nearby and the whole region was to be flooded but the trail had not been reverted yet. So um, we bypassed and went on to the next stop meaning we had to walk uh, 15 miles instead of 10 that day. We, we averaged 10 miles a day. It was a three-week and it was 210 miles total, so we had, you know, a few extra miles to to walk on our day off if we chose, <clears throat> which we did, because every camp was at a lake, and uh, we picked up food boxes on the seventh day and on the 14th day to get us through our second and third week that we had either mailed or dropped off. One was called Kennedy Meadows where a lot of Western movies were filmed. 
Um, when we came out of a north section of the trail, it simply stopped at a, a logging route and the manual we had, a little pamphlet by Thomas Winnett, uh, directed us to follow the road and then take a left a mile down and walk a paved road up to Kennedy Meadows where our food box was and it was on our way south. But the trail itself had never been built. The choice was to take a 13,000 foot mountain and go over the top and come back down a couple of miles away that day. So we, we chose to follow the, the route for that time in 1988. And unfortunately, in the process of walking down the edge of the road, one foot hit the dirt and the other foot hit the edge of the pavement. And there were a few cars that would go by. And in that condition, my arch collapsed on my foot and became rather painful. But I overcame it and continued south another 100 miles. You do what you gotta do if you break a foot uh, and there's no way out and you have no way to get in touch with someone unless you send word with a fellow trail hiker and most hikers are very friendly if you pass them of course they would be going the other direction and they would gladly share trail camp information for you um now we're talking obviously 1988 there was 1988. no cell phones no, no communication was yes you, you know you, i doubt if you even carried and, a walkie-talkie between you and your comrade right and trailheads so. were the ends of dirt roads that meandered so unless you had made arrangements and you were on a schedule, you then had to hike out of the wilderness away from your plan to get provisions and then hike it all back. So that's why we dropped boxes at two designations so we wouldn't have to. So our plan did go, um, when we got into Yosemite the last five days, it was rather high in elevation and we ran a food at Lake Smedberg which is an alpine typical lake with giant granite ridges. The deer were constantly jumping over our tent trying to spook us out and feed them. Um, bears were not a problem. Deer were because they've gotten so friendly in the park over the decades. Bears tend to ignore us, us humans, but they have learned their sources of. So you have to be aware. Um, and know what to do. Now, are you saying the trash we leave behind or the food that we're carrying uh, or your actual physical being? Uh, well, first, no trash is ever left behind. Um, footprints, perhaps, but um, well, I don't leave any sign. But to answer your question, yes, it's the, your physical threat is, is possible if you can get between cubs and a bear. And then not in 1988, but since then, um, mountain lions have become more of a threat under certain conditions. Um, but at that time, it was the deer because they were friendly. It's a park, and they're not allowed to be messed with, so they've learned us as not being threats. Anywho, um, so we uh, had come almost all their way, and our last two days was to drop out of Lake Smedberg into 
Glen Ellen, which is a little ways down the Tuolumne Meadows from Tuolumne. Tuolumne Meadows is another five, our last five miles. And when we were out of food, at, we had basically a day and a half to, to finish. And while we started down uh, to Glen Ellen near the Mariposa from the north part of the park, uh, down to the river, I mean, the Mariposa Peak, I mean, the uh, Tuolumne River, um, we could hear it for miles. There's waterfalls there, huge waterfalls. And we got to camp and there were, oh, a good hundred people. And we made camp and we sort of wandered around knowing we only had a few miles to, to finish the next morning. And there were bear poles. And on one of the poles we noticed for over an hour was a bag hanging up there. And we asked all the other campers, uh, whose bag is that? And they said, oh, that's been there for a long time. We've been here three days and no one's ever touched it. And so we figured, since we were hungry and that it had been forgotten or left behind, that we would check it out. Okay. It had two very stale peanut butter sandwiches and two top ramens and we had dinner. I'm sure it tasted really it good. Was good. <laughs> it was good. And we walked out the next morning to up into Tuolumne Meadows. And the um, uh, the adventure was complete. Now, I've skipped over a lot of details as to the plant kingdom. I mean, the amazing variety of trees that um, um, I made notes of would take up another hour of of words here, but um, in 1988, to go on an adventure in California near Tuolumne and to avoid the crowds was a great experience. The limitations are that when you got near trailheads, meaning the Tall Yosemite crosses the four highways that cross over east-west over the mountain, so when you get to a highway, like we did 88 on its way to Tahoe, you have to literally run across the highway with your backpack because the trail crosses a highway. <clears throat> and it's a two lane in either direction and people are going 60 miles an hour and they're not gonna slow down for somebody on a backpack. And so in California, the distance away from um, civilization is really not that far because the the mountain range is rather narrow in width as in comparison to for example the Cascades where it's hundred miles from a trailhead to civilization so in logistics of support where you have somebody come in and bring you provisions or a new pair of shoes every three or four days is quite doable and so you can have nowadays with technology and satellite and all you can keep in touch but i was trying to get out of touch and when i got to a meadow on this specific crest trail one day this cowboy came walking along he had was not doing the trail he had ridden up from the west side to check on conditions for the cows that are leased to graze the area and here he came walking along, and I said, good morning, and he goes, good morning, and he says, have you heard? I said, heard what? 
He goes, well, Ronald Reagan bombed Gaddafi. And I went to myself, you can't get away from it. No matter how far into the wilderness you will go, you will hear about it. Someone will bring the word. <laughs> Trails in the local community can happen with your support. Anza Area Trail Town, AATT, is working to create a local trail system that will connect established trails and create community trails that residents and visitors can enjoy. Becoming a member or donating to AATT, you are helping to create sustainable trails and staging areas where people can enjoy the unique environment of our mountain communities. You are helping to make the Juan Batista de Anza National Historical Trail a boots on the ground trail and not just a motor route through our community. Riverside County has identified this trail as a regional trail that will be a dedicated trail in the years to come. Today this trail in many forms travels from Mexico, through Arizona, and through California, and ends in the Presidio in San Francisco. Another way to support AATT's great efforts is by donating your time as a volunteer. We have many kinds of committees just looking for your help, and also by donation of land for easements, for trails, and staging area. An upcoming fundraising event is our second National Trails Day celebration. This year the theme is Trails Rejuvenate Mind, Body and Soul. It will be held June 1st and will be a hike, horseback ride and bike event. So stay tuned for more information on this celebration. For more information on joining, donating or volunteering the website is anzaareatrailtown.org or Board President Jackie Hare can be reached at phone number 714-746-2021. AATT's Facebook page is www.facebook.com forward slash anzaareatrailtown. Happy trails! Are you or someone in your household on life support or other life-saving machinery like oxygen? If so, please contact the Anza Electric Cooperative Office at 951-763-4333 so that your account can be flagged. If your account is flagged, you will be contacted in advance of a planned outage. Since most power outages are unplanned, please be sure to have adequate backup on hand to last several hours. KOYTLP Anza, your public radio station. Welcome back to Fika with Anika. The reason I picked the, whole, the Tahoe Yosemite Trail was because <clears throat> my father was an adventurer in China in the late 20s and early 30s. And so when he passed, in honor, I chose to go on a wilderness adventure. And 
I picked the Tower Yosemite because it includes in the Sierras the longest and largest continuous mountain range in the United States with the highest and lowest elevations. And it also has the biggest and the oldest trees in the world. There's sequoia and bristlecone, there's forests of white and red fir, ponderosas and large pole pine, incense cedars, and, and I saw the largest mountain juniper that I've ever seen. That was where the um, uh, uh, Jayco birds landed that evening near camp. They picked a huge mountain juniper. You never imagine how big they get. There are also dogwood and alder and willow and ash and mountain hemlock. They're all in this glacier carved area that flows huge volumes of water. Presently we have over 22 feet on Carson Pass, which I passed over in this hike. 22 feet of snow this year. I can't even imagine 22 feet. Well, fortunately, when I hiked the trail, it was in the summertime, so I didn't have to deal. But there were avalanches that took out sections of the trail. So one had to follow ducks or um, make do, which really made it more of an adventure. So um, after, uh, it, the, the trail travels through quite a number of wilderness areas um, until you come into Tuolumne Meadows and the last five days of the three weeks of walking are in the northern region region of Yosemite and so it was um, well it just kept getting better and better because the southern half of the tall Yosemite is the Tuolumne is the uh, John Muir Trail to Mount Whitney and uh, but like I think I said in the earlier part since our recording here is in two segments the fourth Calvary created the Tahoe Yosemite to get from Yosemite where they were hired to protect the park and they were able to push a road through this dense forest and around these mountain peaks on the west flanks and arrive at Tahoe. So it's, it is one of the premier trails that isn't used as much as the Pacific Crest Trail that coincides with it in the early and in the late part of this route. And I have to say that hiking to the peaks were well worth the effort for the view and the wildflowers and the wildlife just made it like a paradise that still exists here on earth and at night those stars they cast a star shadow and made us so close that it was cosmic these are the sort of things that make a simple day hike and maybe an overnighter worth it. Well, Tim, I do have a question. Yes. So, were you, did you hike solo? No, we started with three. I had a friend named Ken from Truckee and his friend from Reno. 
Oh, and, that's right. And, and we had I'm set, coming to, back to me now. Yes, we had yes. set um, one day a week for the three weeks on a layover. And the first two weeks or the first two days of layover were used up on the second and third day because third member of our group got ahead thinking we left him behind. And he got to Highway 88 and went back to Reno. So we continued south and it worked much better because our food caches were really only enough for two, not for three. Okay. So then as you're hiking, are you meeting people or, or were you just all alone with this? Uh, uh, yes, the trail stuff? does reach uh, a number of trailheads along the way where highways cross over the Sierra. Since the mountain range is fairly narrow in comparison to the Cascades, you can uh, enter the trail at a number of places. Um, so uh, at least every three or four days you're crossing a, a, a highway until you get to Tuolumne Meadows and then of course if you were to continue south you could go hundreds of miles without a highway. But in the northern reaches um, there are several highways and then there are also a number of campsites near these trailheads. So most of the people we encountered were close within a mile of a trailhead. Uh, we did pass a ranger uh, who was hiking north as we headed south and he was very pleasantly surprised to find that someone was actually hiking all the way through. Um, those who were hiking in the opposite direction were always willing to stop and share information about campsites. After all, they have just come from where we're headed and we just came from where they're headed. So it's a camaraderie of sharing like a good friend and there was even a sign on the trail that said a stranger is a friend you haven't met yet and that really applies to the trail ethics everybody has a concern and a lookout for everybody else's welfare whether you know them or not so let me ask you how often do you have to buy new hiking shoes how long well, does a pair of shoes last you as you're doing these things? that hikes? depends on what you buy. I have bought high-end hiking boots, and what I do is I buy two pairs. And I make them last over a year if I wear one of two every day. Today, most people buy $20 pairs of shoes, wear them out in a month or two, and put on a new pair. When I hiked the Cascade section with Bob Hotel, who was a jogger, he did nothing but tennis shoes and a, and a fanny pack. So there are various approaches. If you're just going on a day hike, tennis shoes might work. If you're going through rivers and glaciers and, ri and just extreme elevation and rocky conditions then you need ankle support and a better set of shoes than tennis shoes offer so it, it's it's really the shoes are designed around how far you're planning to walk and in what terrain you're walking with now this also changes if it includes snow 
There are already people here in February coming north on the Pacific Crest Trail and they have experienced snow on the trail. And I have had friends who have hiked on the trail and fallen a thousand feet off and then redid the hike with snowshoes. Now falling a thousand feet in the snow might sound uh, hurtful, but it's actually kind of fun. I hiked up to um, the top of Lily Rock or Ansel in, I mean, um, um, yeah, Lily Rock in Idlewild and uh, slid down behind it. Uh, it took an hour and a half to hike up and it took about a minute and a half to slide down. So we have ways of finding fun and creating uh, uh, <clears throat> a lifestyle. You just get up in the morning at sunrise or before and you walk all day and you get to experience all of these things and make all these decisions. Of course, it's handy if you have a rope and you got a river to cross and the bridge is washed out, which happens out further north. And then of course here in Southern California, it's dehydration and a lack of water. So the trail goes from one extreme to the other and it really adds spice to the adventures. So I see that you have in front of you uh, the Tahoe Yosemite Trail Guide, book, yes, by, guidebook by, by Thomas, Thomas Winnett. Yes, and I highly recommend because what it does, I, I highly recommend uh, guidebooks if you have them available. It helps in the planning. Since this was a 210-mile walk and we only allowed about 10 miles a day, there were some days where you might have ended up having to walk 15 or more because you're a day behind in schedule. So the guidebook helps you determine ahead of time what you anticipate or expect when you arrive at camp. And on this hike, we arrived at a designation only to find the water was all gone and had to continue another five miles to the next water without water. So it's important to have a plan to know where the water is. And then once you have water near camp, you always want to stay at least 200 feet away from the camp. I mean, from the water with your camp to avoid any contamination of the pure, clear lakes that exist everywhere in those mountains. And there are amazing number of lakes and there are birds that fly there to spend the summer from all over the world. There are, I mean, the, it, just the oldest and the largest and the tallest and the biggest trees is enough <laughs> to go see them. California is such it an is. amazing state. California, we are, we are blessed. We are blessed. And in Anza, it's so close to us. We can hit the desert. We can hit the mountain peaks with snow in a matter of minutes and if on a horse you can go 50 miles a day not just 10 miles by foot so the planning really makes the adventure work if you have the equipment and it holds up and you got all the particulars in those needs that arise you just keep going and if you break a shoelace or your shoes come off or apart 
Well, you're tiptoeing backwards to the nearest shoe store. <laughs> so, you know, I've often wondered, I mean, we know that, uh, you know, you have your provisions up ahead. Yes. So if you're riding a horse, do you, how do you bring feed for the horse? Or do they fend bring, for themselves? You bring another horse or two, and they carry the feed. Oh. And uh, you're self-contained. The only thing you take is prints. I'm sorry, the only thing you take from camp is photos and memories. And what you leave are prints, footprints. It is. Yeah. I think uh, by horse, the logistics changes. Um, but hopefully most of these designated hiking and riding trails uh, are not involving bicyclists or motorcyclists because that undoes the wilderness that's why they're designated as such so uh, whenever I reach a limit of man-made stupidity in our little town I go and find peace of mind on a trail with nature it works every single time and when you come back you have a self sense of rapport that it doesn't matter if it's snowing and there's a storm or the roads are closed or it's too cold you just have already learned to endure and live with it we all need some kind of an internal reset button to just bring us back to nature it's called domestic hmm. we become so domesticated when the power goes out, we don't know what to do. And that's why these trails are so important. Because we do know the power will go out. This um, whole setup is so precarious to Mother Nature. Our roads wash out. Our power poles fall down. There are forest fires that uh, evacuate. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen, but those are lessons that we must learn because we're the ones in the way of nature. And when nature comes along and reminds us, we have to be better prepared. And you bend with the wind. You don't fight it. Otherwise, you just break. You break down. So hiking the trail gives you that wherewithal. And then it doesn't matter what happens because you can smile and know, give it four days, give it another week, you'll be back on the road again. That's a, that's a lovely thought. And that concludes another episode of Fika with Anika. Thank you to my guest, Tim Lordson, for another exciting episode. If you have any questions for Tim, please send an email to programming at koyt971.org and put question for Tim in the subject line. Don't forget, these episodes are replayed on Sundays at 1 p.m. and are also available to listen at any time if you go to the website koyt971.org and click on the podcast link. Have a good week. Thank you.